Welcome to Driving While Awesome. My name is Art. I'm Brian. I'm Kevin. I'm Lane. And on the line, we got our buddy uh, Dino. Dale Carbonare. Hey, come stai? Eh, molto bene, grazie. Molto bene. <laughs> so, uh, Dino, thanks for uh, he, um, he, connecting all the way out from uh, Japan land. No problem. I'm in the future for you guys. I know, dude, you're in the future. Yeah, what time is it over there? It's uh, midday. Well, half past midday here. Midday. On, uh, on Thursday. All right. So it's awkward that you're having beers in the middle of the day, then. For us, it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since Dino's like us. Uh, he's uh, You just had twins, right? When How old are your twins? Uh, they're two months now. Two months. So he's getting his ass kicked right now. Oh, and like... Wow. <laughs> twins, plus, two months. Uh, plus, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, like God. Yeah. Dang. Whoa, twins plus a two-and-a-half-year-old? Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't handle months. my two-and-a-half-year-old. Busy, busy, busy. Indeed. That's like, that calls for like a an eighties uh, American car limousine for a dad mobile at that point with the with the antenna in the back. Yeah, yes. and maybe a little hot tub for relaxation after. <laughs> you go to Century or something like that. Perfect. See, we don't even know what that is. Century. 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 Yeah, perfect for it. If we're V twelve, if you get the right one. V twelve. Oh shit! Doesn't it have the? Uh, you can like, can't you like put your legs through the backrest on the passenger seat or something weird? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dude, Warren. An option for the the front seat. Like the, the the backrest folds over, so there's like a hole in the in the backrest, and you just put your feet through. How sick is that? <laughs> yeah, Warren would be going nuts over this right now. Aren't they like the super velour interior and all like the curtains and all that stuff? Oh no, that's like, like the yeah, that's a, the VIP things. Uh, yeah, 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 these are all leathery. All oh, they were. Okay. Yeah, but uh, cool. Yeah, so uh, Dino. I mean, Dino uh, for our listeners. Um, uh, probably a lot of our listeners are aware of who you are. I mean, you're the editor in chief at Speed Hunters. That's so right. um, yeah, uh, but. They don't know you in depth, though. So uh, we're going to go a little deeper and talk about some car history and um, maybe talk about a little bit about how you got involved in the industry and, and all that. Uh, but um, sure. I'd like to know. Uh, maybe to start off, Art, so how do you guys know each other? Uh, yeah, so I know Dino from some years back, uh, back when I was doing a business in, in Japan, and we connected over car stuff. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I was doing a, you know, some projects uh, with GoPro and like some marketing stuff, and you know, I, um, you know, at the time I had set up distribution uh, with uh, uh, Tajima, who's uh, known as Monster Tajima. He's the world record breaker of, uh, or at the time of uh, the Pikes Peak run before they paved it. And, um, and so through that, you know, I, I got kind of hooked up with Dino and we started talking about, you know, some, some, you know, covering some of that, the cars that he owns because, uh, Tajima has like this gnarly vault that he's never shown anyone. Like he oh, has wow. like something like, you know, 60 cars, I think that are just have never seen the light of day. Like he has like, uh, the, one of the first RX sevens ever made and it has like six kilometers on it, like under a cover and it all of, obviously all of his race cars, like he's, you know, been rally racing forever. So he's got like all these trippy, weird projects, um, that like, he's got like a, you know, like a one-off was, is it a 280 ZX all wheel drive Dino or is it a 300 ZX all wheel drive? I can't remember. Um, you know, he, he actually might have both. Both, right? Yeah. So, yeah, dude. Wow. So all this trippy shit, right? Like all this dual engine crazy experiment stuff, right? So, um, so yeah, basically we connected over that, and um, you know, just kind of every time I was in Japan, we kind of synced up and just like I uh, had some espresso at uh, Dino's favorite uh, car spotting spot in uh, in, in Tokyo, and uh, <clears throat> it's pretty fucking crazy, dude. Like you literally sit like this spot, like you see everything within like. 
it, it's just insane. Like, I mean, did you hang out there? To, uh, well, not, it's at noon, so maybe you haven't been out. But um, what have you seen recently? <laughs> just to give you some idea. Well, I mean, due to the babies, I haven't been back in a while. But, oh, uh, right, right. Um, uh, it's, it's usually a little spot that I like to go and write as well uh, during the week. Yeah. Just to escape and get a bit of uh, inspiration. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, especially when, uh, when the weather warms up a bit towards summer. Uh, you really get a lot of variety just showing up. It's just uh, a parade, really. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Like yeah. everything from like you know a, like AMJ hammers to like you know modern exotics to really bizarre, obscure stuff that you know everything. I can't even. I mean, anything you can imagine, you like, see. It I've there. seen anything from like you know G sixty five AMG to like Muras and Bugatti Veyrons and anything in between, like tuned GTRs. You know the Japanese stuff. Everything. It's insane. It really is. And, and so you, there's like a little spot you can sit right at the window and kind of just outside. see everything. Forever. Oh, you sit outside. Sidewalk. Oh, nice. Right on the sidewalk. Nice. So it's, uh... Yeah, it's like you're just right there. And, you know, and this is in Tokyo, so the streets are pretty narrow. So you're basically like feet away, like a few feet away from all these Yeah. Guys. And they're cruising by there slowly. So you like, it's a really cool spot. So, Dino, do you just have a, a camera on you at all times to capture stuff? Nice. Yeah. If yeah. I don't have my camera, my, my, uh, my, DSLR. I usually have the iPhone ready to go. Uh-huh. That, that's where I started doing like iPhone iPhone pans. Oh yeah. So I kind of do like uh, the odd pan and then tag it on on Instagram. It usually works out. Get some cool pictures. <laughs> yeah, nice. no doubt. Yeah, no, iPhone and, panning. And so just so I get a good baseline here, uh, Dino, we know Art uh, is a pretty big car nerd. So what do, what do you think? Who's a bigger car nerd, you or Art? <laughs> I don't know. Nerds, nerds are interesting because it's hard to they're, they're hard to categorize. <laughs> I think we're all big nerds in our own uh, very unique ways. Good answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> trying, to be, trying to be politically correct. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you go you know you go pretty deep. Writing for Speed Hunters and and being at the top of that that's that's pretty deep in car nerdum I think. Yeah, and the key thing but, is like, yeah, art, art's yeah. pretty good. He's he's a he's a deep nerd too though. I don't know. I'm a deep nerd. Um, and you know we we. We have, you know, we have access to certain cars and stuff, you know, as, you know, even as driving while awesome and, you know, even, you know, through yeah. our own endeavors or whatnot. But like, you know, being, uh, you know, um, motor journalist, like he has access to pretty much everything. It's I a whole other level. Like, yeah. I do it for a job. And then after that, I just come back home and like look at magazines or watch videos on YouTube about cars. And my wife looks at me and like, absolutely, <laughs> like you have a problem. Yeah. I'm like, what do you want me to do? At least I'm not looking at girls, you know? Yeah, totally. yeah exactly. That's always the, that's like the, that's the argument for, for my like day job. I, I, uh, I sell carbon fiber for exotic cars. Um, so that's always the kind of argument, you know, the guy gives his wife, right? Or, or I always kind of, I'm like, at least you're not like, you don't have like girls on the side, you know? Yeah. You're, like, you're just buying carbon fiber for your Ferrari. It's yeah. all good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. That's what I've tried to leverage, man. Like, you know, with my car quivers and it's like, you know, babe, I, I, I'll have all kinds of cars, but I'll only have one woman. Right <laughs> <laughs> so Dino, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta tell us, I don't even know this, man. What was your first car? My first car is, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit ashamed, but that's, <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, let me finish. It's, it's, I mean, okay. So I studied in the, in the UK university, um, after Japan, uh, where I finished high school, I went back to the UK and, um, when it came time to pick a car, obviously, you know, budgets and stuff like that, there wasn't much that I could afford. So I ended up getting a Citroen AX. 
Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Which, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. They're... It's a really tiny, like front-wheel drive city car. Yeah, it starts like, with A, so that usually indicates the the smallest <laughs> yeah, thing available. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> terrible, but then again, at the same time, it taught me a lot of stuff. Like it was, it had this most awesome lift-off oversteer. <laughs> I was just you know plow into roundabouts and just lift off and you know hard steering to to the left, and it would just go sideways. And yeah, it taught me a lot of stuff that car. And probably manual transmission too, right? Oh, yeah, of course, manual. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I, that's a total little shitbox. I, I like love, a, I love like shitboxes like that. It's like yeah. a Fiat Punto or something. No, it probably had like. It's even smaller than a Punto. It's like a Geo Metro or something. Yeah. Is Do it you, a three cylinder or what is it? It was a little uh, four cylinder. Oh, okay. Probably had like one thirty fives all around or something. <laughs> yeah, they were tiny. There, it was just lit, literally on the verge of over steering and under steering <laughs> the whole time because you know UK roads are always wet. Yeah. And so. Dude, yeah, they don't. We never got those here, but um, they're they're definitely funky little little things. Um, sweet. So, what? what uh, so, how long did that last? And then, what was next? Um, that probably was about two years that I kept that. Then I ended up coming back here to Japan, and I got an S14 for a little bit. Oh, sweet! I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and that... then uh, and then came the R34. Pretty much. Very quickly. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. third car was an R34. Wow. That's quite an escalation, which well, is still I, around. It was a. Oh yeah, it's parked outside. Nice. I've had it 17 years. I've given Dino a lot of shit about this because um, um, he leaves his car out parked outside in the winter, and it's like buried in fucking snow, dude. And it's like the sickest R34. Um, but uh, I guess that's that's just what you do, right? I mean, you don't have another that's spot. Tokyo, right? Garages are like the most luxury of luxury. So right. I mean, it was it was garage for a few years when I had a, a house with a double garage, but uh, I moved since, so it's it just sits outside covered. With with many covers, I mean that kind of helps. Oh, you stack them on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've got the system going. I got like a bunch of old um, like duvets and stuff uh-huh. to, to protect it. Oh yeah, dude, Kevin's looking and at us over here. And then I got this soft cover to, to to go on top of that, and then I have this uh, really hardcore, you know, full weatherproof uh, cover on on top of everything. Interesting. Well, it seems to work, right? You've yeah. you've had the car for 17 years, and it's uh, it's not all rusted out or anything, right? Well, so. yeah, I mean, underneath there's definitely some work to be done, like the, yes. you know, suspension links and bushings and stuff like that. But that's that's gonna happen anyways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So, so that, that's amazing. 17 years, like I almost can't believe that. That's like, yeah, I don't know. None, none of us have owned. Yeah. Oh my, yeah, only 60,000 kilometers on it, so it oh wow, use that much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, so do you put a coating on that paint? <laughs> oh yeah, it's got it's got like some synthetic coating. Supposed to last five years. Oh, yeah, there you go. Is there that a go. nano coating? A ceramic nano coating? Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we were just talking That's about that. That's what's gonna protect it. We just talked about that. <laughs> so Brian, we were just uh, you know we were just saying like none of us have owned a car that long, and then Brian remembered that he's had his his '56 Chevy for uh, like twenty years. Twenty years, <laughs> so. but it's a project car that. I haven't done anything with that has never yeah. been projected. He, he's on. driven it. He's driven it 15 miles. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> thank, totally. Thank you for bringing that up, Lane. I well, was I was going to hide that actually. I <laughs> didn't want to say it. Cool. So R34, man. Um, and I know. I mean, you've had a bunch of other kind of like short-term, like sort of project cars since then, right? Um, I don't know if like, how many cars have you had since then, actually. Like, oh uh, God. I mean, not too many. Just a few. I mean, I, I've had. Uh, a 330 BMW convertible that was replaced by 335 and last year I picked up a 435 so all convertibles 
And uh, that's also a Speedhunters project car, which I've built over the last year. Right. It's kind of, you know, simple, simple mods, just suspension, wheels, exhaust, and uh, and an airbox. Because it's pretty much the daily car. And then uh, for work, I have a Subaru Legacy wagon uh, with the three liter flat six. Oh, so cool. The, the rarer of the of the pick, I guess. Yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, they, they call it like an H6. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good engine. I mean, it, it sounds nice and it, and it kind of pulls nicely, but it's just completely torqueless. Yeah. At least, you know, a lower RPM. We, um, I actually just sent around, uh, uh, actually, you know, I have a question before I even get into this. Is Bring a Trailer popular at all in Japan right now? Are you familiar with What's Bring a Trailer? Bring a Trailer? Bring a Trailer? No, I don't know what that is. Whoa, you've never heard of it? No, awesome. I guess it's you. I mean, it's yeah, US it's US, yeah. yeah, totally. All right, now I got to approach bring a trailer, dude. I can expand them in the Japanese market. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Uh, so two things: bring a trailer, pretty rad. Check it out. Um, basically, they sell usually interesting cars, typically modern classics, classics um, with an emphasis on like interesting, sporty, and rare cars. I should say. Um, and so they historically they were more like a site where you would basically they would kind of like scout like the market or have people send in like cool interesting cars right like you know like they found a uh, fuck i don't know anything right like a like a, an e30 m3 buried in a garage right and like and they would send yeah. you the craigslist ad or wherever it was found and people would discuss it right and like re- in the last year or so it's become an auction site right year yeah, like they, that, they yeah. added the auction yeah. element to it, like eBay style. Yeah, of. so they added an auction element, so now you can sell your car there by paying them, you know, a, a small fee. I think it's you know, pay a percentage of the sale price or something. Um, mm, so yeah, and it's really interesting stuff usually, and so we all kind of and check it's all it out. curated, so they yeah. don't just let you know. I can't just you can't just go on there and put any car. They have mm. to approve it, and they have you know, it's very so it's a it's a cool kind of a an eclectic but cool group of cars that that most people would. There's something like special about them in some way, even if it's, you know, even if it's a thousand dollar car, it's kind of cool in some way. Yeah. And so, right, right. um, there was a, there's a 914.6. I think it's still on there. Uh, really beautiful car, like, uh, like restored 914 six, uh, with an, with that H6 in it, uh, with that swap. All right, wait a right. minute. Well, so not a say? true it's not, six. Sorry, it's not a, it's not a true six. Because, you know, there, as you know, there's a 914, different mm-hmm. two, uh, four-cylinder displacements, and then there was an, a real 914.6. Uh, but this one, actually, they put, I don't know what the original motor was, but they put a, a, the H6 in it, and it seems like a really nice setup for that car. Yeah. Because the original engine only had like 110 horsepower. 110 horsepower. Yeah, the was, 6 only had 110 horsepower. Yeah, was like, what was it, the 911? It was like, the 68T engine with that, like, magnesium block. And yeah. Stuff, but, yeah. So way better setup, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but uh, how did we end up on that? Oh yeah, the H six. Because we were talking about the H <laughs> six, but that car was only like fourteen grand. It Dude, seemed like a bargain. It such looked, a fucking. It looked good really deal. good too. Well. Yeah, and so early on, um, you know, I, I don't know if I talked about this with you, uh, Dino, but when I, you know, when I was doing a lot of business in Japan and I was flying there regularly, I at the time this was, you know, up until about two years ago, um. Like classic Porsches were not super expensive in Japan, but they were the nicest ones you would ever find because, you know, the shock and stuff, which I've discussed on the podcast before, and mm-hmm. everything has to be in perfect condition to be on the road, essentially, right? Not perfect, but in good, good condition, right? Yeah, plus they don't get driven as much. Exactly. So, and, you know, over there, 45,000, a car with 45,000 miles is like ancient, right? It's like, it's, it's, a, it needs a full restoration, basically. Well, wait, and if you have an extra car like that, a classic, you're likely garaging it, right? Definitely. Yeah. So, and so I would see these cars, I would see 
9.30s, dude. Like, super nice early 9.30s for 40, 50 grand all day long. Like, these cars are, you know, 150 to 200 grand now here. And it's, yeah. and I, I had this thing where I wanted to export these cars over here, you know, and like people are doing it now. And, the, and this all ties in to bring a trailer. So somebody right. bought a B10 um, Alpina, the bi turbo uh, E34 yeah. uh, 5 Series. Um, and I don't know what they paid for it. I'm guessing they paid, like, you know, 25 30 grand that's the one that's on bring a trailer it just sold today dude for 77 grand or something it was it was ridiculous so like people are already doing this you know there's they're finding these immaculate beautiful rare cars importing them into the u.s and selling them at a ridiculous premium you know because they're the nicest you can find on the market and and you know japan has obviously a really big enthusiast market where um some of you get the really cool rare shit and which I mean, it's pretty wild though, but, uh, I know I saw that today. It just reminded me of, you know, kind of tied into the whole Japan thing. Um, I do have a question for you related to Alpina though, kind of going into a segue in that, um, mm-hmm. Alpina is massive in Japan. Like they have a huge following. Do you yeah, know so why? Alpina's, it's Alpina's, uh, one of the biggest markets. I'm not sure if it's the biggest one. Maybe the U.S. still is, but, uh, it must be like a close. I second. would guess yeah. that it's U.S. isn't. I just don't see yeah. Alpina. Well, there you go. It could be yeah. Japan then. Yeah. yeah, all you get here is like, I mean, like the, the, the shitty, P7, like, yeah, the B7. P7, but um, you don't even really see those around. And, yeah. And I feel like we would see them if they're around, right? Being in California right. and, you know, going out to the stuff we go to, it's just really rare. Totally. And do you have any idea why? Like, I mean, did they have like an, is, has Alpina been in Japan since the beginning or do, do you know why, uh, do you know? Uh, well, they've been in Japan for a lot because the uh, one of the first uh, BMW importers uh, started doing Alpinas pretty much at the same time. Uh, a German guy that goes, uh, his dealerships are called Nicole. And you've probably seen them in in Japan. Yeah. And <clears throat> so he he's been bringing them in forever. But the the, the main thing that they're so popular is uh, uh, basically the Japanese just love rare stuff. Yep. They just they just want to stand out. I mean, if a guy can get the same BMW that you've just paid for. You know, even if it's an M5, it's not good enough for them. They need something more. And with that whole uh, kind of concept, you know, Alpina fits in perfectly because that's pretty much what they do, right? They take like a, a normal kind of production car and turn it into something more special. Totally. And you know, it's, fu- it's funny because like, um, you know, these guys give me a lot of shit because I always like the really unique kind of quirky, weird, rare shit. Like whether it, even if it's something as simple as like the only color or the only this or something. And that's yeah. something, you know, from just being super heavily involved in Japan and like early on, like that is definitely something very Japanese. Like in, in Japan, you always get like these really weird, like limited edition stuff, you know, and it's like that you never see anywhere else. And yeah. it's only, they only make 200 of this edition. And it's basically, it's the same car. It just has a different badge with like little things, right? But the fact that it's rare and in limited edition makes it special and it makes people feel special you know yeah. and i don't know i dig that kind of shit like i see those all the time little badges from uh craig that people put on their cars <laughs> yeah. just got special edition. so uh, i don't know if dino knows but um you know that the craig and auto parts store would be the equivalent of like an auto box or something like that you know right right okay. so you just buy like a, a shitty generic badge and put it on your car <laughs> to make yourself feel nice yeah, I mean, the Japanese love the rare stuff mm-hmm. and limited edition stuff. It's like uh, back in the early 90s, uh, Lancia did a, a Japan-only spec for a Lancia Delta. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was limited to 25 cars or something. And those things go for, like, big money these days. Sounds pretty So sweet. is that speaking to the car culture over there and like, uh, in, a, in a broad sense? Is it, does, I'm getting the picture. I, I don't know much about Japanese car culture, but I'm getting the... 
I would expect that it's pretty expensive to own like several cars just because of limited space. Um, well, it, it depends where you live. If you live in you know central Tokyo, it is it can get very expensive very quickly, especially if you're living in an apartment and you have to rent out your car space. You know, thirty thousand yen a month is kind of the the, the going rate these days. It's for, like three for grand. Like uh, three hundred. Or is it a hundred yen per? 100 yen per dollar. So it's more like 300 bucks per. 300 so it's, bucks yeah, it's like, it's like San Francisco or New York City, basically. So, so 300 bucks a, a month. So which then forces you, if you're living in the city, to uh, have a really high end second car. Like if you're having a toy car, you're paying that much money to store it. You're probably going to have It has to be money. nice to make it worth exactly, it. Yeah. And But so are there, uh, is there a decent amount of the population that lives like in the country that, they can like put cars on blocks in their yard and stuff and um, I store mean, them cheaply. A little bit. I mean, not as much as other countries, obviously. Yeah. Um, because like uh, Art was saying, with the whole shotgun system. Which kind of oh, that's like the MOT or something. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a very basic kind of like compulsory thing that they do to just make sure that your car is you know roadworthy for for the two years that you're running it and that you're paying uh, compulsory insurance. Uh-huh. So it's it's kind of an excuse for the government to tax you a little bit and just to make sure that you're insured if you have a car. And it's Which, it's I mean, enough that day, it's, it's substantial. Kind of it's it's not that bad. I mean, most people make it out to, to sound like very expensive, but that's because they probably just go through dealers. So if you go through dealers, they'll they'll charge you like two grand to do it. But if yeah. you do it yourself, like I do every year, it's like uh, fifty nine thousand yen, so like six hundred dollars or something. Okay. But provided that your car you know passes all things. right but that's because you're doing everything and like in, basically these places you take it in and they're going through like the entire car right so like to ensure that you know they go underneath it and they're like poking around oh, no, with they, they look at really really like stupid stuff sometimes like uh basically you you queue up for the test center and it's like divided into three different sections so while you're outside, they come and with a little hammer, they knock on your wheel nuts. <laughs> Check if they're loose. I'm like, you know, maybe in 1932, that was a kind of like viable test to be doing. But these days, you know, well, not too sure. So, and then they'll, they'll just check uh, emissions and uh, alignment on your, on your geometry, uh, headlight orientation, which is these, probably like the most uh, hardest test to pass. That's what gets everybody the mm. high beam orientation. Oh yeah. So to help th- to help things out, they have this little test center outside a Shakin uh, center that basically is there to adjust headlights. So you go in there, you pay three thousand yen, and they adjust your your headlights. Huh. And then uh, after that, they check uh, links. So if there's a lot of play in your links and steering rack, uh, they'll fail you, and then they'll just check the CV boots, and that's pretty much it. So, Dino, what happens when it doesn't pass and the owner doesn't want it and is it just gets destroyed or does, like, a dealer come in and buy it or either, like, what uh, happens you, to the car? You're free to, to go off and get whatever needs fixing and then coming back, you know, when you're ready to, to retake the test. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, for example, my, my GTR always fails with, uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, the sound. Oh, because it's too uh, loud? Too loud. It's, it's yeah. quite loud. So... Um, uh, but then again, that's very Japanese too. So if you go to the Shinagawa one, which is the the, mo- the most central one in Tokyo, it's very hard to pass because they're very to the book. Uh, but what I do is I take my GTR down to uh, Kanagawa, in, in close to Yokohama, and there's a little test center there, which literally they'll be like, 
okay, your car's too loud, but you know, just fix it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but they, but they're like, we'll sign off on it anyways. <laughs> get out of my way, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stamp and you can get. But your uh, to answer Kevin's question though, uh, basically what happens to those cars that fail? They just they send them to Peru. So, <laughs> so my so what's up with? I know several years ago, like my parents bought a some engine for a minivan they had. It was a Japanese engine with like thirty thousand miles on it or something like that. Um, wasn't there? A, I know. I I know there was a lot of Japanese engines available. Is that to, were were they giving like incentives to get rid of cars or what? What do you know what that what that's all about? Well, I mean, the the whole thing of uh, of the Japanese market is basically when the car is over a hundred thousand kilometers or like ten years, mm-hmm. it's literally worthless. Okay. So there's actually no point for you to keep it and, you know, every two years spending 60,000 yen on it or even more if you go through the yeah. dealership. Because the value of the car will be like 100,000 yen, you know. So they, break like- them at, so they break them at that point. So it's a car, it, basically it's a 62,000 yeah, mile go, engine. They'll just go to auctions and yeah. most exporters will pick them up there and just ship them around Asia or other countries. Or if they're crashed cars, they'll just cut them up and send the, the half cut. With the engine and transmission oh. elsewhere. Wait, and so why isn't it worth it to keep those cars? Do, do the do the fees increase as the cars get older or something? No, it's just the the, the fees remain. The yeah. shack end, the tax, the road tax. And he's saying the car is basically the worth nothing. The value of the car, the the, the actual value within Japan. Once, because it, I mean, most cars here aren't driven that much, uh, distance-wise. So if if a car has you know a hundred thousand kilometers, it's automatically thought as being very old. And abused, so nobody would want to pick that up secondhand. Oh, it's just, it's just kind of the, like that. It's a way of way thinking. The, it's oh, just the market. Yeah, the mentality. It's just the mentality out yeah. here. Same with diesel engines. Diesel engines are very, very unpopular still in Japan because they have this image of being very kind Dirty. of industrial feeling and looking and sounding. You know. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that actually. I really wanted to know your take or, or what's going on in Japan because both uh, Brian and Matt. Our Brian and Matt, Brian and Lane, who are on, on the, those on the Matt guy. <laughs> this Matt guy. You know, both Brian and Lane, who are on the call now. And um, Kevin. And Kevin. Oh, and Kevin. Yeah, Shit. Yeah, you we were, all have yeah, TDI diesels. all have TDI diesels. So is that, has that become an ordeal over there since you know they cheated on the emissions test or whatever? Like, is that an, uh, like a huge problem in Japan now? Uh, well, not so much for Volkswagen because uh, the whole Volkswagen group, uh, including Audi, they haven't uh, actually started selling diesels here. Oh shit! Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. They were, they were actually uh, Audi was supposed to start um, early this year, uh, but they just completely changed plan after what happened last year. Really? So even at, wow. <laughs> last year they just did a complete U turn. That's and crazy. Just, uh, you know, kept with their old marketing kind of plan. So I want to. I don't. I mean, I know we're all all deep into this and stuff, but um, Dino, I don't know. I I mean, I don't really. You're editor in chief at Speed Hunter, right? So that's right. Yes. Um. So did you? Were you one of the founders of Speed Hunter, or which? Your... Uh, I wasn't a founder, but I came in uh, a few months after the the site um, uh, was uh, started in 2008. Okay. Uh, and... and I've been, uh, you know, working with them ever since. Yeah, it'd be fun to hear a little bit more about yeah, that because I, I don't know anything really about the founding of Speed you, Hunters. You and... came in as a as a editorial or a, or a photographer, or well, I came in as a contributor from Japan. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the Japanese scene continues to inspire a lot of other scenes around the world. It's kind of, it's kind of an area that people look to for inspiration. So, you know, it's always been a very important market for speed hunters to, to cover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's what I've done. I mean, I, I started way before that in Japan, you know, uh, featuring various cars and events 
for uh, magazines around the world. And uh, it seemed like a, you know, a most logical progression for me to do that, seeing the way that magazines were going, you know, back in 2008. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in retrospect, it was a very good decision. Oh, so you, you joined right in 08 when the, when, when everything went to shit, basically. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was right at that point that, you know, a lot of the US mags as well, especially tuning, uh, they, they just started dropping off very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, mean, I guess, I don't know. I know that you worked and are probably still actively working, um, on all, all types of different projects, but didn't you work for some magazines in Japan before speed hunters or was that after the fact? No, I did work with uh, a few, uh, magazines in Japan before speed hunters as well. Yeah. And, and so, I still do, I still do today. Yeah. What, uh, and so in, doing the same essentially just, and what, and what magazines were there? Can, uh, it was, it was mainly like, uh, like MOOCs, they call them out here. It's like book meets a magazine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, the Japanese public have this very special thing that they love the opinion of foreigners in Japan, <laughs> not only in cars. Mm -hmm. So that, that's pretty much the angle that I've always taken when, um, when I've collaborated with Japanese publications in the past. And one of the first things I did was just to talk about the Italian uh, car culture for, uh, for a MOOC that was called... Uh, Gaisha Seikatsu, which is like a you know, worldwide car culture thing that was created by a, an, another magazine in Japan. And that was the first thing that I did. And then uh, did a few other things with Rev Speed, which is a tuning magazine. And uh, later came to work with Motorhead, which is still going strong here in Japan. Yeah, which is an, um, an amazing magazine. I, I actually, early on, I tried to get a subscription overseas, and, and, and they didn't have that option. Do you know if yeah. that, it has been opened up now? Yeah, yeah, it's been opened up. You can get it. We're actually trying to sell the, the magazine through Speedhunter's uh, store. Oh, sweet. Because, I mean, uh, it, it, the, it's really funny how Motorhead came to be. Um, the, the editor, who used to be the editor of uh, Ginroku, which is another big title here in Japan, uh, was looking at the way Speed Hunters was uh, focusing on car, car culture as it's presented to a, ca a casual kind of onlooker. So if you walk down the street and you see a cool car, that's how we would present it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of, you know, it, it was a, a kind of a, a wake-up call for him because, you know, he was always like kind of forcing his journalists and photographers to come up with these complex photo shoots and just putting these cars in these unnatural locations. <laughs> It just looked artificial. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, you know, what happened if I just take this car and I just shoot it here in front of a Japanese convenience store or, you know, like an annual gasoline station? It's it's very Japanese background. It's instantly recognizable as Japan. But nobody's done it. So that's what he did. That was the first approach uh, that kind of sparked the idea from Motorhead. And it's been a, it's been a big success because uh, it's, it's very much uh, image-oriented, like Speedhunters is. It's uh, it's mainly about photography and presenting the uh, various angles of car culture within the Japanese market. Definitely, no, Sounds I mean, cool. so so what do you uh, so since it's image focused, what what do you shoot with? What do I shoot with? Yeah, like what do you shoot with for your print print uh, you know your print articles and or for uh, speed hunters and I mean I know you said you I'm use a, your iPhone iPhone for like car spotting and stuff. Yeah, but, I'm uh, a Canon guy, always been since the beginning. Uh -huh. um, I have a 5D Mark III and a 1D for action. Cool. And uh, when I do uh, commercial work, I just hire like mid format cameras, like Phase One. Oh no way, that's awesome. Right. 
And so what, what, um, you know, we talked a little bit about your car history, but how did you get into the photography component of it all? Well, it all started, uh, very early on. I mean, after I came back to Japan, um, uh, from university, the idea was to start working in investment banking, but that quickly kind of changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of realized quickly that I wasn't a guy to go to the office every day and do that kind of work. And, uh, on the side, I, um, made my own blog. And just started covering like little events at scuba circuit or, you know, little meets here and there and kind of illegal drag racing that was happening close to my place. Yeah. And, uh, basically I just get, started getting all these emails from, uh, from magazines around the world and that's kind of how it started. And so, it I mean, quickly, it quickly grew from that. Because I remember, I mean, just from like, you know, back in the day when we first like met, I think, didn't you say your dad's like a nuclear physicist or something? So like, it, well, what? he's, he's, uh, he was part, he's retired now, but, uh, he worked for the European Commission in nuclear energy research. Okay. He's actually an engineer, not not a physicist. And so, how did, was he a car guy as well? Or how, I mean, because you had a Citroen AX, which isn't like the most kind of aspiring car in the world, you know, or compelling yeah. car. So, how did that whole how how did that whole thing? Well, start? yeah, my dad was always into cars. Oh, okay. Uh, so it kind of spanned from his passion. Um, I mean, he started taking me to hill climb races in Italy when I was like two. Nice. So right. I have these memories of like all these prototypes, you know, shooting up a mountain pass. It's just kind of the obvious start of, of, you know, wherever my passion began. For sure. That's and, awesome. And it kind of went on from there. My father was always into alphas. Uh, after we moved to the UK from Italy, he, um, he always stayed with alpha. And then when we came to Japan, uh, that passion kind of, I, I was kind of like not really into Japanese cars at that point. I mean, I've, I've, I already had seen a few 32 GTRs in, in the UK, uh, which were like uh, gray imports back then. So I'm talking early 90s here, like 91, 92. And uh, I remember a teacher at my school had a 300ZX, which is very strange. And um, I remember thinking it was a very interesting looking car, but I, I didn't. it didn't go over that kind of initial impact. You know, I didn't really personally think it was anything that great. But when I came to Japan, I started realizing that these cars that they're making here are pretty darn interesting, you know, you know, technologically and engineering speaking. Yeah. So the the passion kind of evolved from there, and within a few years, I was just crazy about Japanese cars. That's awesome. And so you know, we we talk a lot about this on our podcast, but um, you know, there's a kind of a clear distinction between a lot of the European cars and the Japanese cars in terms of build quality. Um, like it, when you're sitting in that space, like has that ever been kind of a weird like issue for you or is it because you're, you're mostly driving like rad fun Japanese cars that are more purpose built where that's less of an issue or, or are you getting access to stuff in Japan that we don't get to see here? That's actually maybe nicer. And, and, and you know what I mean? Like actually better. No, I mean, it's, it's still, it's still the, the most thing, like the, the most, uh, the, the biggest aspect that I, I complain about in my articles, it's, it's, I mean, when it comes to build quality, the Japanese are very good, but when it comes to materials, yeah, you know, there's an obvious, uh, kind of thing that they can improve there. But then again, that's tied down to the prices for sure. So, I mean, for the product that they offer and for the price that they offer it, you can't really complain. So if you were paying more, maybe you have an angle there. But uh, at least in Japan, the way prices are structured, it makes sense for cars to cost what they do. And, you know, if you want a German car, you pay more and you get a little bit better quality. But uh, I've seen that in other countries, like cars like the the Nissan GTR cost uh, quite a lot more than what it does in Japan. 
Yeah, totally. Well, it's, yeah. It, it, here it's it's in California. It's ridiculous. We can only import the R32s and older because yeah. of the way our you know our our uh, emissions laws work and all this other bullshit. But well, no, we can't even get those in California. Actually, California. No, but you can. Right. You can. Uh, Matt Ferris is perfectly legal. No, it's not. It's registered in Montana. Montana. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was registered no, here locally. No, no. So, um, well, one. They end up being expensive. They end up being expensive. And, and weird. Because I mean, there's um, oh, what's it called um. Uh, Somebody, I, I and Motor Affair has one, and it's registered in Montana, Montana as well. As well, that you can't yeah. register them here. And that, isn't there a twenty-five year rule? There is for not, for the United States, but but they still don't pass emissions in California. It gets complicated. No, it's a state thing. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, in the state, it has to be you have to pass emissions uh, for anything bar, 70, seventy-six or newer. So you can bar those cars, which is like whatever uh, Bureau of Automotive. Repair, Re- repair, re- whatever. Um, but I mean, it, it would end up costing like fifteen thousand dollars just to just to pass the test, right? Well, and it's just not worth it on a per car basis. You totally. Know? So that's what I was going to get to. So um, one of my buddies, and as he mentioned, you know, like they do, they are more expensive overseas, and especially in California. So like, um, one of my friends owns one of these like. Uh, smog test places which is like the very very basic version of your shock in that we have in california and it's basically a visual inspection and mostly i mean if not all <laughs> entirely emissions focused uh yeah. but they um he was telling me that you have to send it to a lab like you yeah. basically take your car to a lab and the only lab yeah. is in somewhere down south like around uh somewhere outside of los angeles okay so if you're up here in bay area you, you have, have to, to ship bring car. your car all the way down there just to bring it to the lab. You have to spend thousands of dollars at the lab, and then they say, they say, okay, you have to do these fixes now. Yeah. They might tell you to like put side reflectors on the car. They might, you know, you might have to do all this all the DOT stuff, bullshit, all this DOT stuff. Yeah. Where, and then you have to send it to the. The, you have to get a bar sticker, then you have to. It's yeah, it's like yeah, an ordeal. No, but it, and it ends up being at ten, fifteen thousand dollars more yeah. than a car in Nevada, right? Just because yeah, yeah. you have to get all the shit done. Yep. But yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, we we definitely have it difficult here because of that. Um, so, which ends up making it a weird question of, uh, you know, you can get a German car cheaper almost, you know, and uh, yeah. so you end up paying a lot for these special Japanese cars, but then the material quality is still the same. Uh, that was determined, you know, at the original price point when it was being built. But as far as new cars, I mean, we still get the new GTRs and stuff like that or whatever, yeah. you know, but. Yeah. And the prices of those are those, is, gone... it, is that about the same that uh, here that it is, uh, in Japan, like in relation to German cars? Well, I know the running costs, I mean, Dino can probably clarify this a little bit better, but, um, the, like they, they have weird taxes and insurance costs based on your engine displacement. So it's not the same. Like here, you get like the initial gas guzzler tax when you buy a car new, but out after that, like, yeah, you know, if your car is, it, you do pay more for insurance, but it's like totally different there. Like, um, that's why the little K cars, the little 600 TC engines cars are so popular in the cities and stuff. Cause they're super cheap. Like, where and it's, it's like, why Miata, the new Miata has a smaller displacement motor. In Japan, in Japan, right? yeah, and they don't. We don't have yeah. it here. We just have the bigger, you know, the two liter or two point, yeah, two liter here. The two liter, yeah, yeah. So, Dino, is there is there some type of electric scene out there? I mean, do they have electric cars out there? Oh, yeah, they have a lot. I mean, it's picking up big, especially in mm-hmm. Tokyo. There's, uh, you can literally charge your car anywhere. Oh, uh, and I've and I've had a few press cars come and go. That you know, that I've held on to a couple of weeks or months even. And I've I have to say, it's really doable. If you live in a city like Tokyo, because 
You know, you can go to the supermarket and plug it in. It's it's literally always there. Even convenience stores, it's it's really doable. But uh, it's it's mainly kind of the Japanese makers. There's a few BMW i3s that you see around these days. Mm-hmm. You don't have Tesla uh, yet or anything. Oh, huh? uh, we do have Teslas, but it's yeah. I mean, price wise, it's very expensive. So it's still very kind of like if you're an early adopter and you want something different to stand out, then you might yeah. get a Tesla. Huh. But uh, maybe I'll see like one a day kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to us, well, we see a hundred like a day. 30, yeah, I think it's like the most like yeah most common car here, dude. In Silicon Valley, like you have, I want to say that there. Are, do you guys agree more Teslas than Priuses around here now? It's getting uh, yeah, it feels like that. I mean, uh, it's pretty, it matches on a, on a new to new car basis. Uh, yeah. by far. Yeah, yeah. but maybe so... not overall because Prius has been built since right. 90s yeah. or whatever. So, but they're so expensive out here. I mean, it's I mean a fully. <laughs> Specced up Tesla Model S is like probably one hundred and seventy, one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Yikes! That's crazy. It's probably one forty here. Yeah, it's not too bad. Fully, right? fully like, specked out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it gets up there here. Yeah, yeah. Tesla D, the D, whatever. P ninety five. P ninety five D. Like it's it's hard to get them for less than ninety here. Yeah, I think your, your parents have one, right, Brian? Yeah, and it was like they specced it. You know, just. They don't even have the big wheels and everything like no, no yeah. sunroof and it was still over a hundred I think. Yeah. I actually I don't know maybe it was just under. No, I think it was less. maybe it was under yeah. Um, hey, uh, we're kind of hitting you with a million different questions. It's super interesting for us though to be able to talk to someone in Japan. Art's kind of like our correspondent almost <laughs> uh, remote correspondent. But um, you mentioned so you're. Uh, family and you were born in Italy. Uh, yes, yeah, so if I understand right, I was born and I and I grew up in Italy until I was eight, and then I moved to uh, Oxford in the UK. And then you mentioned your father too. Did he at some point move to Japan with you? Well, that's the reason I ended up in Japan. Oh, so okay. basically, he, his work uh, he got shifted to, to to a new project here in Japan. Yeah, and. Um, it was uh, basically it was the states, uh, Russia, Canada, Japan, and Europe combining together to make this uh, next generation uh, fusion energy reactor, which would provide all the electricity you would ever need. And uh, after that, after Japan, uh, he moved to France, uh, worked there for six years, and then he retired. Interesting. And so uh, you were just kind of talking about how when you moved to Japan, uh, you at the time you didn't you weren't really considering Japanese cars, uh, but then they grew on you. What about your dad, who you said was into alphas in the beginning? Um, did the Japanese car scene grow on him at all as a car guy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he definitely noticed the, the variety that we had out here. Um, but the, the thing is, he never really wanted to invest into something special because there was always this thing, oh, we'll be moving out of here in like two years or something. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that got extended and extended and extended. So he just ended up picking up a, a Honda Accord. Uh, while he was out here, which is nothing special, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's just leave that there. Was it a V6 <laughs> at least? <laughs> no, it was a two liter. Oh, yeah, yeah, burn it. Which, funnily <laughs> enough, was the was the American market Accord. Oh yeah, you guys used to import them back, right? Like, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and what? I think the the station wagon version of that generation was actually built in the U.S. and then they shipped it back. To oh, Japan. so this is like the the round kind of the ninety like ninety six ish kind of ninety five yeah, kind of model ninety three model. Oh, okay, yeah. Japan, but it was sold until ninety six, I believe. That yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
My mom had one of those. They, yeah, my, they weren't that great. My, my dad had one too. Yeah. I remember I took the. I remember I, I had a Porsche 914 at the time, and oh. I would like I would rally it through all the back roads and all this stuff, and it was just you know old car at the time. And then I took my mom's Honda Accord out and first little lap over to Brian's house actually. Um, the brakes heated up on me and they went all, it was a brand new car. It was like a month old and I had no brakes and I had to blow through <laughs> a stop sign. I was like, what? Uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's sort of turned off. Just totally overheated up. Yeah. Not really. So yeah, Dino, I mean, uh, um, obviously you're, you're pretty swamped with like a lot of your, 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 you know, you do a lot of editorial work, photography work. And now, you know, as editor in chief at Speedrunners, I'm sure you've got your hands crazy full, but, do you still get a chance to get out and drive your own car? Is like we, like, you know, one of the things that Driving While Awesome is all about is is beyond just you know attending the events and doing all that type of stuff. Is really getting out and driving our cars as much as possible. Like, do you still get to do that? And where do you go? Um, I still get to do that, not as uh, much as I would like to, obviously. Um, well, the kids but, probably uh, have something to do with that too. Uh, yeah, well, especially now. Work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's say six months ago. <laughs> but but <laughs> the good thing is we have this uh, story type on Speedhunters called Project Cars. So each of our reader, uh, each of our contributors, uh, if they have an interesting car, uh, they share <laughs> their car, the way they use it. You know, if they're doing upgrades and stuff like that. So it's it's actually pushed me to enjoy my car more because I'm, at the end of the day, I'm still working. If I go for a drive, I'll just take a couple of pictures, talk about my drive that day, and then maybe I fit a new part, kind of review that. So it's actually it's actually worked out pretty well over the last couple of years in that at least once a month I get to take the car out and enjoy it. The car. So you're talking about the R34? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Dude, yeah, th- those things are so awesome, man. I mean, that is one car that I definitely like would love to have in the US, like in terms of Japanese cars, but that's going to be a long way out for us, you know. And I mean, yeah. and there's like weird shady stuff that we have to do to get them, you know, as as you heard, to get them registered in California. Um I mean, that's like the whole I I, I don't think I'm, I'm not really into Japanese cars or anything, but that's like the holy grail of those cars, right? I mean, that's like the the skyline, right? Like Pretty much. I mean, there's those and then the, the, the Hakosuka, which is like the, the, the little square ones that, you know, the early, uh, with, oh, with the yeah. GTR 2000s or whatever, which are yeah. pretty rad, but it's a whole different thing, you know, whereas like the, yeah, the R34 Skyline. I mean, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, it was like always like a dream, you know, because I, I used to play it in Gran Turismo and like Gran you know, Turismo just, yeah, was the thing. That? Yeah. And so like that. Well, was, and it's the one from, uh, what's it called? The, the TV show where they race around the track. Oh, and all the, wait, uh, oh you're talking best motoring? Best motoring and stuff, right? Really it was like the, <laughs> totally. And, and they're just, you know, there's all kinds of stories with them. I mean, they're just so tunable and they're incredibly capable cars. I mean, you can make them like ridiculously fast and well balanced. Was and, the R34, was it one of the ones that was like two? 86 horse like the fake you know, gentleman's, set, agreement, yeah, gentleman's yeah. agreement car yeah, or was, was that after it was just a number oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah exactly it, it it truly put out what like 450 or something uh, i dynoed mine early on when it was still stock and i think it was 326 oh okay to the wheels to the wheels and that's an all-wheel wheels. drive it was it was, it was a crank. flywheel calculated figure oh okay, okay. okay. But that's still yeah. what 40 40 over or something yeah yeah yeah, oh, but then you just you literally just spit on the engine; it'll just explode. You know, it'll have like a hundred horsepower more if you just touch <laughs> yeah. three things. Don't they have like some weird restrictor or something in the intake system that you literally pull out, like you just can remove it? Yeah, in the airbox, I mean, it's not really a restrictor; it's mainly for uh, induction noise. They cap off the side intake, so mm-hmm. that's one of the first thing you do is remove that, which kind of feeds air through the fender, and uh, it definitely picks up more response. And uh, then you free up the exhaust. 
and fit a boost controller to kind of manage boost, and you, you know you're close to 380 right there. Yeah, and and so I mean, you know, the natural question is, are they as good as everyone makes them to be? Because I mean, uh, not only forget about the driving experience. Like for me, I think it's some one of the coolest cars, look one of the coolest looking cars, right? It's just like it's got the fender flares, that aggressive front end, especially the yeah. Nismo edition, mm-hmm. those rear tail lights with the, you know the quad circles in them, and it, it's it's such a great looking car. But does it actually drive as good as everyone says? It does for me. I mean, yeah. I, I drive all sorts of cars, and when I go back to the 34, I just feel right at home. And you know, it's just, it just does everything so well. Yeah. Like I, I remember it used to be criticized, especially by the the UK media back in the days, like this PlayStation on wheels, which I always hated. But uh, <laughs> which is I the, think, what the new GTR? Which is what the new GTR? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they're so original those those Brits when they when they come up with uh, <laughs> taglines and stuff. But uh, you know, in retrospect, the the technology that they fitted never really took away from the the actual driving dynamic of the car. It always feels like you're in charge. Yeah, and what is that technology? I mean, I know it had does it have like it has like rear wheel steering and uh, and what what else does it have? I don't remember. Yeah, it had rear wheel steering that everybody criticized, and now Porsche has. Yeah. <laughs> um, it has uh, the Atessa system, and uh, which is basically the the variable four wheel drive. So it's it's a two wheel drive most of the time until you know torque needs to be shifted to the front axle. Which is the oh, way to do it. That's <laughs> rad. That's I didn't know that. So that that kind of started with a nine five nine, and mm-hmm. uh, Nissan copied them, right? And kind of refined it over the years, and that's what the thirty five does as well. Um, so it has that. It has the Hikas, which is the rear wheel steering uh, system. But there's no traction or stability control. It's very what? Much... No oh, way. Really? It's wrong. That's really surprising to me. Yeah, because I've always had this picture in my head of the uh, of those cars. Just, I mean, maybe it's just the newer ones. Uh, but all yeah, totally. All the stuff. nannies, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I mean, the RB26, you know, in all its generations through the 32, 33, and 34, it's always had a, a cable throttle. So you can't really do traction control and stability without an electronic throttle. Oh yeah, so, inter- so yeah, and so and and then it will then go it's... sideways on you. It will scare the shit out of you, and that's why you. That's why I like the car. I mean, it, it still manages to scare me after all these years. Yeah, it's playful, and what uh, is it? Does it feel light on its feet and and, uh, uh, and everything, it, or is it, it does and then it doesn't? I mean, it does if you compare it uh, to, to, to a model car because all cars are so heavy these days. Yeah, um, but it does a very good job of hiding uh, its weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you know it, it's it's a GTR. So anything that you find wrong with it, you can literally tune it in two hundred different ways. There's so much choice out on the market for pretty much anything, from handling to braking to engine. Yeah, and and then it all comes down to that engine too. So straight six, and uh, I literally know very little about these cars. Is it twin turbo or something? Yeah, it's it's twin turbo. It's basically an engine that Nissan developed to go racing. Yeah. Um, in the late um, in the late 80s, they wanted to enter the Group A class, and that's what they did. They just created the GTR to go racing, which was a great way to bring back the the GTR badge. And your car is... still has the uh, Hikus hooked up and everything, the rear wheel steer. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's not that's pretty common to disconnect it, right? To yeah, make... I think it's mainly people that don't understand how to to make uh, to get a good use out of it that disconnect, or just people to do drag racing, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that. the guys that they want to get like they want nine hundred thousand horsepower out of it or whatever, you know. Like, you know, uh, the the guys just just want full power and they want to go straight down as fast as yeah. they can, right? Yeah. 
Right. One of the one of the best ways that you can uh, you can tell a GTR apart from a lot of other cars is the way that it enters corners, the way you plow in, and the way you power out, which is a lot to do with the rear steering. And huh. you know why would you want to fiddle fiddle around with that great trait? You know, <laughs> I, I always liked it. It's interesting. No, yeah, I mean, I guess Quattro, kind of Audi Quattros have their own, not the, the, the Haldex cars, but the earlier, you know, true Quattro cars have that kind of characteristic, right? Where you kind of plow in, you lift, and then you just, just fucking hammer just it. Nail and it. Just, yeah. just get out. Yeah, that, no. That's also because the engine was always in front of right. the axle. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's in, way in front of the axle. Exactly. Yeah. You gotta yeah. use the momentum and kind of pivot the car into the corner. Totally. Yeah, it's like opposite of a 911. And yeah. How big is that motor? Is it a 3.4 liter? Is that what the number oh, no, is? It's, for? it's tiny. It's a 2.6. It's under 2.6. 2. 2. 2. RB, it was RB26, right? RB26, oh, yeah. D-E-T-T. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. You can stroke it up to, you know, 2.7, 2.8, and they have kits for 3 liters and 3 liter plus now, so like up to 3.2, 3.4 these days. Which is ridiculous, because those, it's an iron block, right? Don't they handle like ridiculous amounts of boost too, like stock? Yeah, yeah. There's, it's, it's a, it's a cast iron block, and then they have the, the option of an N1 block, which is the one used for racing, so it's a little bit thicker, uh, cylinder walls, if you can get your hands on that, and then, uh, Nismo actually did an RB28 block, which was derived from the GT500 uh, race cars. Yeah. Which uh, retains the thickness of the sidewall uh, of the N1, but also has a proper honed out um, cylinder cylinders for for the 2.8 pistons. So and uh, so I don't know if you guys know, dude, but um, I'm talking to the guys here. But uh, so back in the day, there was a series called uh, JGTC that eventually became Super GT, which is sort of kind of like a DTM slash touring car series in Japan, which is fucking absolutely so. amazing. Um, the the racing in that series is fucking sick. I mean, it's like aggressive as fuck, sick cars, really cool stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's and, based on real, like real factory well, chassis. Well, not really. So that's what I was going to ask. Not anymore. You know, no. Right. So not anymore. Originally yeah. like the DTM cars, they were, but yeah. now, you know, you look at the, the new series and it's like a fucking full tube frame. Full tube tube, frame yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask, dude, um, have you had the chance of driving one of the, like the super GT, GT 500, uh, Skylines? Cause a buddy of mine did. And he told me that it was the easiest car he's ever driven fast. Cause it's just like so insanely capable and like the arrow is insane like have you driven one of those no i've never had the the luck to drive i was actually a passenger in one i think it was the old penzoil r34 oh sweet uh at the nismo festival um but aside from that no yeah uh, now that you mentioned that i i might have a chance to drive an older uh group a car uh, in the next few months oh no way yeah. what what car uh, I'm I'm not a liberty to say. Oh, but I see. Just check speed on this because uh, I'll make a big deal out of it. For sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check it out. Have you taken your Skyline on track? I'm sure. Right? Oh yeah. 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 Man. Yeah, I remember. Or like this is probably a few years ago when you when you did the piece on uh, dr- uh, just how driving on a wet track or was it like a wet school or something that you took your R34? How oh did- yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a it was a, a day organized uh, by Yokohama. Yeah, to to kind of emphasize the the you know driving is about finesse rather than just outright power. Right. And uh, I I just love those kind of courses because they're very Japanese. Because uh, you know the Japanese are very much uh, mentality wise they're they're more into the smaller detail kind of thing. You probably you guys probably have seen it in like if you watch a uh, hot version yeah uh, videos and stuff like that. Or if you look at Japanese magazines, they're so. You know, into the the theory of driving, the theory mm-hmm. of setup, and all that kind of stuff that really makes a difference when you hit the track. Right. 
Um, and, and this event was uh, very much about that. So throughout the day, we just managed to, to learn that, you know, it's all about the way you enter a corner, the, the, the way that you handle steering and braking, the, the way you release the brakes, you know, to, to not unsettle the car. So, you know, mo- most people that did the course, you know, by the end of the day, they were so much faster and so much better. Yeah, no, that's a great way to learn, man. I mean, I, I remember... Like, and it was all in the wet. In the wet, dude. So yeah. It's, yeah. It's a wet school. So, I, yeah. Brian, I mean, I had mentioned this to Dino beforehand, but, um, you know, Brian did Specky 30. And I remember back in the day when you were racing, it, there was, like, the super wet day at Sonoma, I think it was. And, like, I was like, dude, you're on those tires. And, like, you're like, yeah, I remember you were saying that there was, like, a section of the... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, relate, a related tangent. Uh, the section of the, of, the, of the course where you had standing water and you would literally just glide, like, <laughs> yeah. across it. Was yeah. that at Sonoma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, but no, but that's the thing though. It's like you literally driving in the rain is if you can drive well in the rain, you can drive well anytime, right? Because uh, yeah, yeah, I remember one of my proudest moments was it was super early on in the in my racing and uh it was just a practice session, which nobody cares about any of the times for a practice session. You're just like sorting your car out. But uh it was wet and cold in the morning and I had shitty tires and I got like the top time. It was the only time that I was on the Brian top of the charts. Brian won the practice though? I won, I won <laughs> practice but and I took I took way too much out of it. I was patting myself on the back way too much but I felt good about it because it was exactly that. It was a finesse. Like I felt like uh, there's only so many chances you get to be able to really, you know, when the conditions are perfect, to really test yourself at those minute detail levels. Um, Absolutely. And it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. It's it, a, that, that, that sounds that's really cool. fun and nerve wracking. Totally. So yeah. Yeah. I remember our best finish of at Lemons was. Oh, that, that's right. right? Cold so, rain. Yeah. And are we when we cracked the top ten or whatever mm-hmm. uh, in the nine forty four. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, it's definitely something else. I mean, it, it's when you have, I mean, I don't know, like, like, you know, my cars, like maybe the E36, I care less about it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a shit, like going full tilt on the track with it. Whereas my 993, I would be a little bit more cautious. But when you have a fully decked out race car that's caged, like you were driving, like I, I, I forget about the car and I just focus on the driving. Yeah. You know, like, which I've experienced before. And that's such a great feeling, you know, to be able to just focus on driving right and not be concerned about spinning out and getting, destroying your car or something, right? So, and, and when you're, when it is in the wet, uh, everything's at such a slower speed. Uh, yeah, you have a little more time to process it. And actually, it's kind of a good segue into, uh, I mean, the drift, what's cool about drifting, you know? And I, I'd imagine that a lot of the stuff that is happening and, you know, when it started in the Japanese hills uh, on the back roads, it's I, like, I think it's a wet environment out there, right? It's wet all the time in Japan, I would imagine. It just seems like it's got that lush environment that uh, the back roads are constantly uh, covered in water. So that probably like lends itself to the whole drifting thing where it's a little easier to lose control and you have to depend on that finesse to be able to get by without wrecking. Yeah, well, we definitely get more rain than California. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, I Especially mean, the past couple of years. It's yeah. it, like, well, not all of it, but, um, you know, you have certain places that are drier, but like Highway 9, you know, where you have like these damp sections where they're always fucking damp. Yeah. And you know, and you get to learn the road and like, you know, it's kind of like that where because Japan is a very mountainous, hilly country. And so yeah. you have all these, you know, woody, wooded covered areas. And so the trees get damp and then that eventually drips down onto the road surface. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, I, I think it, it's not entirely true everywhere, but I mean, there is something to that for sure. Um, like, 
Did uh, Dino? Did you ever get into that at all? I don't think I, I don't remember us discussing that at any point. But um, were you ever about into drifting? drifting you yeah, mean? yeah, about drifting in general. Well, I mean, I got into it from you know, kind of a, a journalistic perspective in, in following it. I mean, I, I've been to all sorts of events over the years, and I've covered illegal drifting quite a lot, especially back in the day. Um, but it's not really something I got into. Uh, I, I I always liked it, and I, I tried it out a few times. But uh, I quickly noticed from the friends that I had that were in it that they were just wasting a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, it was Bumpers and tires, yeah. drifting, and pretty much everything I do from now on is about drifting. Yeah, and I didn't really particularly want to limit myself like that. So, you know, I just kind of just looked at it from the from the sides kind of thing just taking pictures and writing about it which is good enough for me yeah for sure um so how, how are you doing on time i know you you said you had some stuff going on are we, you got another 15 minutes or yeah or, 15 yeah. minutes or so Sweet. and then i gotta jet off awesome man well um you know we, we do have uh some questions we, we asked we reached out uh to folks to our listeners um and they uh, sent in some questions for you okay um, cool so um uh, we got, uh, this is, uh, through Instagram. Um, did you get any on Facebook, uh, Lane? I'll check when yeah. you're doing that. Uh, so on, on Instagram, um, one of our buddies here, Blitz Koenig, he, um, he writes in regularly. Um, isn't he in Germany or something? It's, I it, think he is. He's yeah, got a German he's got, name. He's, he's got a rad, uh, <laughs> long hood RS style or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, he's, uh, is that Lightning King or Thunder King? I don't something know. Like that. Koenig is king. Um, okay, so uh, what did you find the hardest part about migrating to Japan? I mean, now that he has some backstory, it might be different, but um, that's that was the first question he had. Um, there wasn't really that much hard uh, for me because I was kind of young. I was still in high school. So it was more exciting than anything. I mean, it was a very different country to move to uh, compared to, to, to Europe. But... Uh, there was so much more cooler stuff happening here that I really got used to it very quickly. Cool. Um, and so this is this is a really difficult question. Um, at least I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm making an assumption here. What do you like the most about the Japanese automotive community? Uh, the atmosphere and variety. Mm. There, there's just there's no like negativity at all. Huh. It's it's just uh, people respect each other, and I think that's that's probably the best thing. It really has to be. You know, you can do anything you want to your car, and people just don't judge. Really, they just wow. accept it. And I think that's something everybody can learn from. We're you know we're pretty bad about it on the podcast. <laughs> we're con- we're constantly hating on stuff. It's kind of uh, I mean, it's, inspirational, it's, it's actually, okay in a way. Judge. <laughs> it's okay to judge and criticize if you're doing it in a constructive way. Uh-huh. But that, just yeah. to call out people for doing like stuff that you wouldn't do. I don't know. I'm, right. There's, and, a way, there's a way for everything. And I yeah. think it's more about and, and there's a key difference here. And I mean, and you know, obviously, you know, we do talk shit, whatever, but we have our own perspective on things. But that doesn't mean that's the only way. We talk about it in a way that it really has to do with the people and personalities of folks, right? And so, and and that's what it's about, right? Because we're all car people, we're all car geeks. It's it's we all have passions, whether it's like doing low rider shit whether it's building off-road stuff it's all cool and interesting in its own way it's just you know we're going to talk shit because we have our own perspective and our own approach to things but 
it's not to say that it, it's we're not discrediting it. Like there's it's the only time that we'll say genuinely that we feel and I can say objectively even that that we have a problem is is when there's a when there is an attitude or a superiority complex weirdness thing, you know, things like that. That's when it becomes problematic. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and I agree with you 100 percent. Like, you know, I've actually talked to these guys about that. Um, you know, like I think when we we're at SEMA, we got pretty drunk at a bar once after. And uh, and I was like saying how much I love Japan for that specific reason. Like, I love that you can go anywhere and just it's it's all fucking cool it's all interesting people are so open and friendly there's no fuck no one's stealing your shit like you can park your car anywhere and be <laughs> that's very you know, true it, yes. it's it that doesn't exist anywhere else you know like i can't leave my car parked on the street with the windows down with my shit in it and just be go go look at car shit and come back to my car and be comfortable it's yeah. very rare that you can do that right or you know that's just a you know a random I, I forget i forget to lock my car sometimes and nothing happens yeah that's just that that that's awesome man i mean and that that doesn't happen everywhere you know like especially the irony there is that the japanese cars in the u.s are the ones that are are getting stolen the most and it's like you know (laughs) like like we talk well yeah in la what we post uh every week there's a post of a stolen porsche or or something down in los angeles you know so yeah it's happening all the time and in a few podcasts ago or maybe even most recent one we talked about um you know itrs uh you know integra type r's and those are stolen so often here because you know, the, as you know, these, those cars are like Legos, right? You can pull all those components off and put them on a Civic or put them on sure. another a cheaper Integra. And so the, the, the kids that own these like shitty cheap Civics are, you know, typically, you know, kind of like ignorant little shitty kids and they don't give a fuck, right? They'll go and steal your, your type R and put all that stuff on their car, you know, and, 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 and you know, and it's so, it, it's, it's, it's such a shitty scene, you know, cause I mean, that I used to be in it when I was in, in you know, back in the day in college and, and even a little bit in high school. Like I, I liked all those cars and I, and because they're so tunable and easy to work on and, and all the parts are interchangeable, but then you have all these like really, really shitty people that are in the scene. And that comes back to that, right? It's like, it's not about the cars themselves. Even the really funny ricey shit with like crazy wings and colorful stuff is interesting, but it's about when it's, when it's like, when you have an asshole behind the wheel or just people being stupid, that's when it becomes a problem. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and so I just have to plug cause you're talking about, uh, I mean like the respect and then the variety. Uh, I, I've always appreciated from afar the way that the Japanese, uh, style of doing like old traditional hot rods. Like I feel like yeah. whenever you see traditional hot rods from Japan, they're always perfect. Like they yeah, respect absolutely. everything about like yep. the, the period parts and everything sits right. And the engineering is always, great um yeah. and you see him like always dressed up too and like the 50s gear and everything oh, yeah, they really embrace it like i said yeah if, if this guy's into something he'll just go full out mm-hmm. like he'll just dedicate his whole life to it and uh and especially the the hot rod scene it's something that uh i mean i only started covering it uh, once i joined speed hunters because it wasn't something i was doing before and uh, i'm very glad i did because i just uh apart from you know the fact that i ended up meeting a lot of great people um it just further kind of emphasized the whole uh, passion and love that the Japanese have for cars. And I've actually, you know, in the, in the seven or eight years that I've covered that, that kind of scene, I've really seen it evolve where, you know, in the beginning they were trying to emulate and kind of follow what was going on in the States. And in the kind of last few years, they've they've been developing their own styles. They've been progressing uh, so much so that they can actually call some of the stuff that they're doing theirs, which is, uh, you know, absolutely. That, 
That's cool. cool. So they're setting trends. In they really are. Yeah. yeah. In hot rod in stuff. In hot that, rod. That's for your head. Yeah. yeah. And that it's and great. that's one thing that happens a lot with Japanese with a lot of stuff in Japan. Actually, they they will import a, a, a concept or or you know an approach to doing something, and then they'll amplify it and make it their own. And by amplifying, you it, think you that's say, because like, they're not scared to do these this stuff because they're not criticized. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, like maybe yeah. here you're kind of like if you if you go outside the lines. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, you're not accepted in this here anymore. Maybe. And there, they're yeah. kind of free no, to do so. what they want. Yeah, yeah, that we're, makes sense. We can be kind of snooty in the higher ups of the in every uh, of the yeah from hot from traditional hot rods to Porsches to, to whatever whatever yeah. yeah yeah for sure interesting and, and, and um like one one that was always really interesting to me is like Dwight Art don't forget that we have more questions we too. do have more questions I, I promise it's the last one <laughs> and it's because I'm curious to hear what Dino's take on this is so low riders in Japan, by the way, oh. the low riders are huge in Japan I within love their own niche, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so. Like the reason that lowriders became popular in Japan early on is a complete it is similar to why they're popular why the whole thing happened here, but in Japan it was rap like, videos. Well, no, it's it's trippy because you know uh, traditionally you know like you know there there's all these different sayings and idioms in Japanese culture and society that you tr- always go with the flow. You don't want to stand out. You we're all the same. You know this unity thing. You know and and so uh, lowriders were were a way to really escape that and 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 really become something else and stand out. Out. And it, it was almost like a punk rock thing, you know, where you're like, fuck the, you know, like it's a counterculture yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah. fuck the mainstream, fuck that. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And it's like the exact opposite, right? Yeah. Like, I remember when I was in high school or college or something, I did a, a thing on, uh, it was a statistics class. And like, Japan has the highest percentage of like white cars or something, you know, and the second is silver cars because it's like that thing where it's just like you just kind of buy the same thing as everyone my else. Dad, you don't yeah. want to stand out. You don't want to yeah. feel, be, look superior or different, whatever. So, and lowriders are the exact opposite of that it's like it's like gold wheels chrome plated bright colors and it's like it's it's like a rebellious thing which is pretty fucking cool you know like and it's not the the guys are not dicks i mean you approach anyone and they're rad you know they might look like gangster but they're fucking nice people (laughs) dude low rider how about that one of the peterson museum oh that was fucking rad so cool just so detailed yeah up on the lift you just like walk under that thing it's crazy it's amazing it's a whole other thing for sure um, all right, cool. So we got a uh, um, McQueen Racing uh, asking a question here. He always asks great questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's like illegible. Ill- <laughs> I can't even understand what he asks. What is he asking? Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, read it. Read it. From, read it exactly how you wrote I'm it. I'm gonna read it exactly how he wrote it. From a Japanese slash European home base, what looks like the most interesting about messing with cars in the United States. I see what he's trying to say, but I was probably texting while driving. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do you want me to read that again? Oh, no, yeah. yeah. What, yes, please. Why don't, <laughs> why don't I just take over? So, so, by the way, Dino, McQueen Racing is sitting in front of us. It's yeah, that, that's me. Uh, so, from your perspective over there, what's interesting about the U.S. car scene? Or, uh, do you, uh, before that, do you come over here very often? Uh, not too often. Okay, so yeah, what are you looking at over here then? Um, what do I, f- I mean... <clears throat> Maybe nothing, I don't know. Oh, no, not, not at all. I mean, I, I totally respect the the, the actual the, the custom culture in the States and uh, how long it's been around and how well it's kind of integrated into the car scene. Um, I'm just blown away, like, how manufacturers call in... Uh, tuning shops or parts makers before a model is released and, you know, allow them to, to kind of get to work earlier so that when the car hits the market, there's, you know, products already in the aftermarket ready to go. Uh-huh. It's something that a lot of other markets should probably learn from. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I love how uh, people can just do their own thing. The whole building your project car in your garage and uh, being allowed to drive that around. That's something that's very difficult to do in, in, in Europe, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like totally, pretty, totally unsafe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, of course, there is that, um, obviously. but you Well, know, I mean, I that's from, part of the fun, too. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. I come from Italy where you literally have to get permission and, and, and pay, pay taxes to change the wheels on your car. No they, way. Um, wow. It's like overprotected. To, to like insane levels wow that's terrible so that's something I definitely appreciate and I like um, plus you guys seem to have a lot of variety too I mean there's, there's pretty much everything out there and uh, I've I've noticed a, a, a bit of a a shift towards uh, you know driving more you see it a lot in like uh, YouTube uh, channels and videos where people are just focusing more and perfecting their cars for, for fun mm-hmm. for driving you know track track days or you know carving up the the canyons or you know that kind of stuff it's yeah absolutely and sure. uh style wise uh japan is always looking towards the u.s for you know the the kind of more style oriented shows and, and show cars um the japanese always look towards the u.s for inspiration and then make it their own like for every other scene that they they're involved with so yeah there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff happening in the states which is really funny, though, right? Because they, they as, as we kind of mentioned earlier, they adopt it, make it their own, and then it inspires us again. And then it's like this, yeah, it's yeah. Like this it's crazy cycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So um, we got another question here from Ross815. Um, uh, this is assuming that you've driven mountain roads. And I've, by the way, I've been trying to coax Dino to come over here. You have a fucking house in San Francisco, Dino. So get your ass over here. we got to go drive some roads. <laughs> I don't know if you've driven California mountain roads, but he's asking, um, which do you prefer uh, in terms of uh, mountain roads, California or Japan? Uh, I have not driven mountain roads in the U.S., so I can't really say. <laughs> so, yeah, he was making that assumption, yeah. But um, how is it driving? I mean, I, I've briefly kind of touched upon it with these guys before, but um, I love driving in Japan. The roads are freaking epic. But, I mean, what is it like driving on these mountain roads? Like In Japan, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Um, there's If you go in the right time, there's absolutely no cars out there, and uh, you're pretty much free to do what you like. Which is kind of why. That's crazy. Yeah, that is so amazing. And I've heard that they're like they're they'll be one way roads, mountain roads. Yeah, some of them. There's there's a very famous one in Nikko. So to go up to Chuzinji Lake from uh, Nikko's town, there's like a, a pass on one side of the mountain, which is one way, and then if you want to go back down, it's it's on the other side. So cool. That's the best. Basically, a track. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and it's and people, from my experience, are pretty respectful. You know, like if they see you coming in a faster car, they just move over and let you go, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And it looks like they're well paved too, from the videos yeah, I've seen. Roads, some of the roads I go down to uh, in Hakone, which is the closest kind of mountain area from Tokyo, where you know people go driving there on weekends. Uh, it's it's pretty much like race car, uh, racetrack car kind of quality of tarmac. Wow. Yeah, our back roads are super varied condition. Like, you know, there's a ton of bumps that might be unexpected and uh, patches. Pat- yeah, you, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, basically, there's a reward in driving them a lot in that you can learn, you know, where the good parts are and the bad parts sure, are. But, sure. you know, you have to go through that learning process. And, and how's uh, law enforcement out there once you get out of the city? Um, can you can you hammer through those one way? Yeah, 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 it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty safe. I mean, as long as you're not doing you know crazy stuff. Well, yeah, uh, 
in a drive with half a brain, you should be fine. Oh, that's good. Well, one thing that I really, really love about Japan is that um, it's it's you know because everything's about respect and 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 really respecting your space and and your time. Cops will usually basic make themselves very visible. Like if it's a bike cop, mm-hmm. he'll he'll park on the side of the road in a very visible place with his lights on, so that you know he's there, so that he doesn't have to chase you down and give you a ticket. Whereas here is they're fucking the opposite. You know they're hiding behind bushes and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, it's like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's so. It's that. basically like you respect them by kind of slowing down. Then they respect you, and they don't go after you. I'm showing um, wow. the guys. Uh, yeah, Irohazaka, uh, what the uh, leading up to the up the mountain. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cultural differences. Oh, like man. they're really, it's really different between California and Japan. So, do you know? I have one question here. I don't know if it'll be the last one. It looks like McQueen has got a question for you. But um, so you obviously get to drive everything. Yeah. Uh, you've gotten to dri- drive some amazing cars. Um, I want to know what your favorite driving car, not, not let, let, let's say, step, forget the R34 for a second, that you've driven yeah. and experienced. I want to know what your your favorite manual car, manual transmission, and, and uh, actual paddle shift car, because I don't want you to say immediately Pagana Huayra, right? I want you to say mm-hmm. best driving experience with a manual car, and then maybe even overall, too. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's start with paddles. Uh, GT3 RS. Which which one? It's kind of an obvious. Oh, the latest no, one. No, no, no. Oh wait, duh, duh. <laughs> That's the only one with paddles. <laughs> <The other> one. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. you got to drive that pretty recently, right? Yeah, that kind of blew me away. Um, I love that shifter. Really, how how it sounds. Default on that car. It's it's. Uh, I got to give it to Porsche. I mean, when they uh-huh. when they set out to do these cars, they do them very well. Well, it's big. Um, you I can fault that, that, right? Cars. Yeah. It, 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 you know, with the rear wheel steering, it, it does what the 34 does. It hides that big long wheelbase and it's, you know, it's big shape. Uh, you know, I usually, I'm, I'm quite lucky that I get to drive most of these cars pretty much on the same, uh, road. So I get to compare a lot. And, uh, I had no problem, uh, with the GT3 RS up and down, like really narrow Japanese kind of passes. Uh huh. Um, I, I personally, I, I love when you shift with those paddles, it's like, it, it, it sounds so brutal. Uh, it's, it's like a shotgun. Yeah. Did you drive like those? Yeah. The first one. Oh, the GT3. Oh, just the GT3. Yeah, that's right. Which is, I actually like, I mean, I haven't driven. So we have a friend who has a 991 GT3 RS. He had a 991 GT3. Um, and I only drove the the GT3, which I thought was a a great car. And I aesthetically, personally, I actually prefer the 991 GT, the standard GT3. What do you think? I mean, because I don't know the gills and like just all this other additional shit. I got the the GT3 is so clean and beautiful. The spoiler is nice. It doesn't look like this gigantic ostentatious thing. Yeah, it's but, definitely less in your face. Yeah, yeah, but I guess it's not as capable. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've driven the GT3 as well. It was very capable. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah, more I mean, it's than a very yeah. fine difference. I mean, it's just a little bit faster. Yeah. The, when are you going to use all that fucking capability, right? Yeah. I, I really don't get why people complain about the the paddle shifts. I mean, I mean seriously, that engine is so like in your face all the time at high RPM. Yeah, for a car like that, I mean, I can see how it's it's it matched just, to it. It matches perfectly. So I'm interesting. I'm interested to see what the 911R is going to be like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, do you think you'll be able to drive one? I mean, there's they're so limited that. Well, I'm sure I'll find an owner. I'm yeah, sure there you go. 
There's always uh, people in Japan that collect that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, uh, the pretty pretty hardcore driving experience. Yeah, yeah. The GT3 it, it it revs so quickly that it's almost like you need a paddle shifter. Like you wouldn't be able to keep up with uh, rowing your own. And so it's almost I don't know. Like will they have to have a heavier flywheel or something with the 911R just to be able to you know make it so you don't feel like you're so behind? Or I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it's it's a whole other thing. I mean, I, one of my, one of my buddies, um, he had the opportunity to to actually race for um, for a professional um, uh, uh, Porsche racing team, and he drove the RSR. And he was telling me how like he was getting into his seat when he first sat in the car. Like he was getting fitted into the seat. He's like getting comfortable. The car was idling, and he accidentally brushed the gas pedal, and it fucking hit the rev limiter from idle. It was like pop pop. You know, like, yeah, it was like yeah, it's yeah. insane. It just yeah. revs so fast. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other car, right? It's like yeah. you know, titanium everything yeah. and like super lightweight. But it's so. not that far away, really. Right, right. Yeah. So it's just like ridiculous. Like how did like it's just with a car like that, it's so high strung. I can I can understand it. But I think with the 911R, you know, I'm sure that obviously you, the more you read about it, like you see how they really tie the whole package together. But it's about revving through the riding or going through the gears and revving the engine all the way out, right? And it's like geared for it. So like that's what's so much fun. About about driving a manual, right? It's like you get to rev it all the way out, and then and then actually get into the gear and change it. But like, I I, I do like that. Like you know, it's it, that's a whole other thing. Versus, I mean, I I personally like paddles too. But I mean, if I had the choice, and if I only had one choice indefinitely, I would still go with a manual just because it's it's you know it's special in its own way. But uh, but I can see in that situation why you know it, it makes sense. Um, so manual car, what what's your favorite uh, manual car you've ever driven? Oh, that's a tough one. Can I say R34? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess it is. Well, a guy doesn't stick with a car for 17 years unless yeah, well, he's pretty serious uh, about like it. Like I said before, I feel so at home when I'm back in that car. It does. Yeah. It, it doesn't do everything perfectly, but it, it, as a whole, it just satisfies so well. I mean, and plus you can modify it and tune it to your own kind of needs. And those imperfections are probably what makes you like it even more, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you don't want a car that's perfect. Right. Exactly. So is it uh is it that time? I think so. Yeah, I think so. All right, here we go. That's our trivia music. Um, yeah. out. So we got some trivia questions here. Um, you know, everyone's gonna partake. Um, so you know, given that we have Dino on, um, you know, I made him kind of focused on. Oh, actually, we didn't even talk about that. Dino's been involved in like the development of the spe- uh, Need for Speed video games. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so he's heavily involved in that stuff as well because Speed Hunters and all that is tied. We'll have to maybe another podcast, Dino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that'll take a while to explain. <laughs> that'll take a while. But uh, so I, I talked. I mean, the first question is video game related. Um, I really, really, really hope that you guys have all played this game because everybody's fucking played this game. Yeah. Uh, pole position. Yes. Remember pole yes. position? Pole position. Or That's the one with the spinny wheels? It has, no, not the spinny wheels. It's, it, 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 well, we'll get to it. Okay. Spinny wheels is That's the one. You're off-road about the, yeah, or something. No, you're talking about the little F1 cars? Is that yes. What you're about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Off road, like super off road, and then yeah, yeah. sprint, sprint something. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Uh, it, I'm not sure, that. This is a, in Japan. It was called Boru Position. <laughs> it's the same thing. Okay. So Pole Position released in 1982 by Namco. That's the Ferrari Testarossa, right? No, that's not the Ferrari Testarossa. Out- this was that's, that's Outrun. Outrun. Yeah, outrun, that's yeah. Outrun. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, so uh, 1982 by Namco. It open wheel little race cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I remember it. Remember that point of view. Point of view. Okay. Yeah. First kind 
got a 3D-ish looking yeah. car. Okay, oh, so yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I'm super hard to super keep on track. Yeah. Yeah. On track. Yeah. <laughs> super hard to keep on track. So, uh, squealy tires. Okay, so Pole Position, released in 1982 by Namco, was not the first racing video game. However, it was the first to be based on a blank track and to feature blank before a race. Uh, Qualifying. Qualifying was before a race. That's right. A real track? A real track. It was based on Fuji yeah. circuit. That's right. Oh, wow. Dude, right. I love right. that fucking right. thing. Remember? Yeah, I told totally. Prepare to qualify. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Dude, I, do you remember that game, Dino? Yeah, yeah, of course. I used to play that. That's such an awesome game. And the the, the sounds are so good. Oh, so good. And it was so futuristic. <laughs> sweet, sweet. All right, so next question. Um, Auto Car, recognized as the world's first car magazine, was fir- first published in what year? First Auto automotive car. magazine. First automotive magazine. Auto Car. Who's going to go first? Should we make Dino go first because he's Dino the guest? First. Yeah. Auto Car. Well, I remember they had a 100-year anniversary recently. Well, that's a big clue. Well, that's a very big clue. Uh, <laughs> probably 19, 1918. All right. 1910. <laughs> that wouldn't be the 100-year anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> 1910. 1910? Yeah, 1925. 1925. 1895. What? Yeah. 1895. 1895. Check this out. Dude, Car magazine. This was like the little subtitle under Dude, auto. There wasn't even. This is fantastic. Check this out. A journal published in the interest of the mechanically propelled carriage. Whoa. <laughs> and it was it was like super early on. And I, because I, that's like Mercedes had. Peugeot, Peugeot they, had something. And Mercedes had their car. Right. They like, had the Daimler thing. Yeah, but there was like, like hey, nothing. Dude, nothing. so it's such a. So I went and I actually read the whole fucking thing, the first volume, first yeah. issue ever, and the pictures are so funny because like this is 1895. So there, I got I had to mention the pictures for Dino, but they actually, um, you know, the, the way that they because back in the day the way that they built the presses you know i guess they made the plates or whatever um they actually re- like made them wrong so that i guess they made they were them, reversed they were reversed yeah. so all the cars were like in the backwards and mm-hmm. so um i was reading a little thing about like i noticed well first of all i noticed because i remember like I, um the early early peugeot cars super random kind of knowledge little tidbit they were all right hand drive and in the fucking pictures, they were left-hand drive. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so I went and, like, you know, Googled it, looked <laughs> oh, around, wow. and they were all, and they really are right-hand drive. So all the pictures were reversed. Wow. And I went and looked at all the fucking, all, every single picture in the thing was reversed. That's funny. So, I mean, first. No, that ever. makes sense, too, because I remember hearing that WeatherTech ads started in 1895. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, don't, I don't think WeatherTech exists in, in uh, Japan. And now. then the, the little pill for, uh, you know, Cialis? male stimulation. Cialis. Yeah, that oh, was, Cialis? yeah, I think uh, that started. Back then, so Dino, um, every fucking car magazine in the U.S. It seems every publication around here has, uh, you know, these um, like heavy duty floor mats. For He's probably heard of WeatherTech. There's a WeatherTech racing series. I, like, I, I might have seen it in Auto Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah they go. make yeah. Oh, they yeah. make you'll floor see, mats. You'll and, see yeah, it in yeah. everything. Do and they, they have, have like, a full race series. It's the WeatherTech race series. They do have the race the, series. Yeah, all the whatever the GT cars and stuff. Yeah, it's, right? fuck is it? What is it? Well, it's like Honda R, the Acura RSX oh, or the TSX the races. Cody Challenge Series now. Um, so yeah, so these guys buy like they so much ad space in magazines these days. I don't know how so, they do. WeatherTech mats for your horseless carriage. For your horseless carriage, <laughs> it, was, it was there. Um, and so I gotta throw this in there real quick. Um, so they actually one thing that was insane was like under this title list or this headline, the auto car in America, in America, a big contest, and it was like our friends in America are doing XXX, and so um. 
the the Chicago Tribune or Herald Tribune um, put out a prize of five thousand dollars back then. Dang. Which, uh, for the, and it was like some weird, arbitrary, kind of vague, like like uh, weird, subjective thing. It was like five hundred or five thousand dollars for the car to perform the best for the hundred miles between like Minneapolis and this point, you know. And it was like, and I'm like, holy shit, five thousand dollars in eighteen ninety five? That's a lot dude, of money, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a car, a car is probably like two two hundred bucks, right? Yeah. Exactly. So they were really trying to encourage. I'm sure the government was backing them or something, but encouraging this this whole new scene or whatever, or um, you know, development of the automobile. Warren probably knows about it. He probably watched probably the documentary. Does. And so here's my last uh, and final uh, trivia question. Uh, Forty years ago uh, this week, Tamiya produced its first RC car. What car was this model, or what RC car, or what, what year was this modeled was this? after? What year? 1976. What was it modeled after? First RC car. Dino, you go first again. <laughs> Were you an RC car guy, Dino? Uh, a little bit. I, I got into it when I was a kid. The electric uh, ones. Seventy six. Uh, probably uh, Hakoska Skyline. I don't know. Very good guess. <sighs> Shit. Since we have Dino on, I'm going to say Ferrari Dino. Yeah, I like it. I'd say it's got to be like a Datsun or something, like a two two sixty. Is that? Yeah, two sixty Z or two eighty Z. Two forty. Well, no. Well, because you're thinking seventy six. Seventy six. Yeah. I'm going to say dune buggy. A dune buggy. That's a good guess. Um, so I highly recommend that our listeners go and check this out because it's really, really well done for 1976. Turbo RSR 934. Um, really, wow. really well done. Like if you, It's pretty insane for 1976. Wow, and they even great. have a little driver in there, a doll and everything. The engine's in the back. The motor's in the back. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the, and the detail is insane for 1976. Interesting. I don't know how much it costs, but I mean, it, it, the thing is pretty damn nice. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that company was that old. Yep. Oh, yeah. They've been around for a long time. They used to do like weird military shit before that. But, um, but yeah, no, the, the, the RC cars started in 1976, but good first car. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's so, a rad pick. So, yeah. So, um, I guess that's a podcast, eh? That's yeah. a podcast. So, uh, yeah. Anything to, for Dino to plug or anything? Speed Hunters? Uh, go to speedhunters.com. <laughs> cool. Nice. Easy. Just beat hers. Easy enough. There it is. It's all you need. Hey, thanks, Dino. It's uh, yeah, no cool talking overseas like this. This is, uh, I think, the first time. Yeah. First international yeah, guest. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do it again. We'll yeah, for sure. Again, man. We'll have to learn more about Need for Speed and everything. I know. And we'll have to get his ass over here so we can go up and drive in the twisties. Yeah, for and, sure. And he can he can drive my 993, which is an amazing car. You know, it's like the best <laughs> in the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's nice, actually, that the timing works out, too, that it's in the afternoon for you. Like, maybe if we're stuck with Japanese questions, we can text you or something yeah. during the <laughs> yeah, show. That's right. We're going to be so stuck at midnight. Yeah. Good, good to have a resource. We, we actually... We, we used to do that pretty regularly. I remember I was actually trying to convince Dino to get an i3 for a bit there when we were talking about electric cars. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you tried to convince everyone about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's All like right. several podcasts dedicated we'll, to We'll it. let Dino go then. All right, man. All yeah, right. thanks. Right. Later, chatting. Dino. Thanks, nice. for, thanks for coming right. on. See you, man. Thank you. Day. Later.
All right, cool. So we got a uh, um, McQueen Racing uh, asking a question here. <laughs> he always asks great questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's like illegible. <laughs> I can't even understand what he asks. What is he asking? Um, okay. Uh, so uh, read it. Read from, it. From read a, it exactly how you wrote. I'm going to read it exactly how he wrote it. From a Japanese slash European home base, what looks like the most interesting about messing with cars in the United States. I see what he's trying to say, but I was probably texting while driving. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do you want me to read that again? Well, no, yeah. Uh, yes, why, please. Why don't, 